You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Oh, come on, you know this. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Thanks for humoring me. We just sang Paul's words from Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says, and again I say it to you, rejoice. The man means what he's saying. Well, my question this morning is how can we be filled with joy when our world is so troubled and so broken? Let me remind us of Bianca's words last week. She said this, forgiveness is the choice of a community focused on God. She said it well. She said, I want to look like Stephen, who even in the darkest moments of his suffering looked like Jesus Christ. I too want to look like Jesus. I want to sound like Jesus, and I sure want the joy Jesus had. Do you? Today we'll look at joy and how it's expressed here in Acts and in other places in the scriptures. This, my friends, is a delicate subject to be sure. I know that many of you are in the midst of very hard places in your own story, places of pain and places of suffering and grief. And we are all in the midst of communal and national stories of loss and of grief. There is plenty of chaos in our world. So I wanna ask this, when we stand in the shadow cast by the towering wreckage of history and even our daily news, doesn't joy seem like an unlikely theological topic to cover? It does. And yet, we will discover through the scriptures today that joy is essential. As theologian Jürgen Moltmann states, joy, joy motivates us to revolt against the life that is destroyed and against those who destroy life. And grief over life that is destroyed is nothing other than ardent longing, longing for life's liberation to happiness and joy eternally with God, God who makes joy manifest. Our joy is found in God, no place else. Please pray with me as we begin. We sing with the band, God, hallelujah. Hallelujah, we have great reason to be hopeful and be joy-filled because you are our King and our Lord. I pray that you would hide me behind your word. Would you and your spirit be visible and experienced today? Shape us because we have gathered to worship you. Stretch our hearts to look more like yours. Use our voices to proclaim your praise and your love. God, thank you that you call us your children. We are indeed grateful people. And all God's kids said. So what is joy? Is it happiness? I think they're actually very different. When I began studying um, for this sermon, I discovered there are actually very few theological works on joy available. Thankfully, Yale Divinity School is in the middle of a four-year program studying joy, Jesus, and human flourishing. But guess what? None of that's published yet. 
So I'll be looking forward to what they have to say when it's all done. But let me begin here. Joy is not simply a feeling. And joy is not simply a coping mechanism. Joy is directly connected to hope and directly connected to God. Joy, like gratitude, must be cultivated. Joy is the companion of suffering and requires both looking back and looking ahead. Above all else, joy is a soul word. Marion Mai Thompson, who's a scholar at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, has the best definition of joy I could find. She says this, Joy is the effusive expression of gratitude and praise that flows from a resolute, trusting heart that is suffused by hope in God. Let me read that again. Joy is the effusive expression of gratitude and praise that flows from a resolute, trusting heart that is suffused by hope in God. Back to Moltmann, he says it this way, a little more simply. Joy is the power to live, to love, to have creative initiative. Joy awakens all our senses, energizing mind and body. Friends, Christianity is uniquely a religion of joy. Faith is living in the Christian feast and celebration, living in the joy of the Lord. We all know the universal symbol of Christianity is the cross, but that's a symbol of pain and suffering and cruel death. So we have to ask, how do these two things go together, suffering and joy? And we'll consider that today. The other two things I want us to consider is what one is, what does God's word have to say to us about suffering and joy? What's the word of God say? And finally, what does it say to us about living lives of celebration and joy as followers of Jesus Christ? If we look back at Romans 5, 1 through 11, we can see that joy is actually the main mark of Christians. It's what sets us apart. Those of us who are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So I want us to consider what does it look like to live as people of hope and people of joy? Let me remind you of the passage that was read for us earlier. There's great persecution against the church and it scatters. Only the apostles we see remain gathered. As Saul persecutes the church, people are dragged off to prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Those apostles, they are totally people of hope and of faith. Even in the midst of all of this persecution, they continue to preach Jesus as the risen Lord and Messiah. We see Philip goes down to a city in Samaria and proclaims the Messiah, and what happens? First of all, I notice the crowds gather. That's pretty cool. They listen to him, and they see miracles. Demons are cast out. People are healed. And what's the outcome? The outcome is joy in the city. Let me be clear. All is not well. Saul is still persecuting people, still putting people in prison for their faith. There is great reason for mourning and for lament. But this doesn't stop the people from being filled with joy when they see God at work, because our joy is found in God alone. Joy and suffering are deeply connected, and we see them connected all the way through the Old and New Testaments. 
Again, Marion Mai Thompson, she leads the way in this. She said, there are three distinct patterns in the scripture where we notice joy. The first is where we notice human, humanity's response to occasions. So occasions such as good food, a wedding, a friendship, and the response comes in various forms from singing and gladness to outright shouting. I kind of like that myself. The second way we see joy in the word is joy deeply contrasted to sorrow, to suffering and distress. We see joy when those things are removed. I think it's notable that joy is anticipated and expected when God acts to redeem and restore his people. We see this in the Acts passage. The joy comes in the city when people are healed. The joy comes in the city when God takes action. Joy provides a deeply grounded sense of well-being, even when things are a little chaotic in the world. We could use some of that in our world today, right? Throughout the Bible, and particularly in the Psalms, we see that weeping and mourning are replaced by joy and dancing. They are not typically experienced simultaneously. It does happen sometimes, but not most of the time. Joy and suffering are contrasting and connected. Let me be as clear as I can. We do not rejoice for our sufferings. But in the midst of our sufferings, we rejoice in the fact that God's loving gaze has never left us. Scripture indicates that genuine joy is linked to righteousness and peace, and those come only from God and through God's action to bring them about. This requires something of us. It requires that we trust God and God's goodness. In her latest book, Uninvited, Lisa Turkhurst asks three core questions as she reflects on the suffering of her own childhood and her desire to trust God deeply today. She asks this, no matter what has gone on in this world, can I believe that God is good? Can I believe that God is good to me, is her second question. And finally, she said, no matter my circumstances, do I trust God to be God? Daniel, would you pop that picture up for me? Or Henry, I'm sorry, I can't see who's in the booth. You might have seen this photo on the news this week. This is Heidi Nunez and her husband, Jared. You've seen it maybe on the news because he was the only American killed in the Barcelona attack. At my house, this isn't Heidi Nunez and her husband, Jared. This is Miss Nunez, rock star science teacher. Heidi changed my daughter's lives. They were at a very small Christian school, and she told them with dignity and with grace her own story. At a very young age, she got pregnant, decided she wanted to keep the baby, and she lived her life without shame. She lived her life raising her son, knowing that she had Jesus' forgiveness and grace and presence in her life. She raised her son by herself, and only a year ago married Jared. They were on a delayed honeymoon when he was killed last week. It is my prayer that in the midst of this, someone will remind Heidi that God is good, that God is good to her, and that God will be present to her. Friends, we live amid a lot of suffering and a lot of chaos. So how do we do it? 
How do we believe in the midst of our suffering that God is good and we can trust God to be God? Well, one way is to be determined to focus on God and God's word and God's actions throughout history. There is only one way to truly be people of hope. Remember I said that joy requires looking back and looking ahead, and so does hope. We look back and we remember how God has acted throughout history and throughout our own individual stories. We must, as the scripture says, renew our minds. Here's one of my new favorite phrases. The mind feasts on whatever it focuses on. The mind feasts on whatever it focuses on. If you've taken a class with me, you know I have another favorite phrase, which is practice makes permanent. Not perfect, but permanent. To be people of joy, we must practice gratitude, which leads to a joy-filled existence. What's your mind feasting on today? What are you focusing on today? N.T. Wright reminds us that following Pentecost, we, you and I, we are the tabernacle of God. And the joy that we see in the Gospels is not simply a natural human delight, like in times of healing. He calls it this, the new messianic mode, like the joy expressed in the Psalms, like in Psalm 125. The joy of discovering that the God of Israel has done what God promised to do. God has rescued all of God's people. Rescued them from exile, providing forgiveness and restoration and new life. This joy that can be experienced by God's people is experienced afresh in the person, in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Let me read you just a portion of Psalm 125 from the message. It seemed like a dream too good to be true when God returned Zion's exiles. We laughed. We sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them, they said. Yep, God was wonderful to us. And we are one joyful people. We are called to be joyful people because the God of Israel, who brought back Zion's exiles, has rescued us and is present to us moment by moment, day by day. Theologian Lewis Smedes was a very, very humble man, and I love the way he talks about hope. He says this, I hope because I'm an anxious, struggling, suffering, longing, unfulfilled creature on the way to a future over which I have no control. I must counter my inherited despair by continually developing a habit of hope. Gosh, I love that. Continually developing a habit of hope. Hope in God, my friends, requires trust in God. What story of suffering are you experiencing today that you need to entrust to God and ask him to show you where he is present to you moment by moment and day by day? When God gets into our hoping, Smeets goes on to say, we pin our hopes on a person, not an action, a person. More exactly, on a person and the promises that person, God, makes. We hope and trust that God will give what God promises, which is, simply put, God's presence with us. God's very self with us. So now our hope moves from a belief that the good things we want are possible to a belief and trust 
that God intends to keep God's promise and be present to us, and that God is competent to do it. Ryan reminded us a few weeks ago that God is a covenant God. God's hesed and loving kindness means that He is always turning toward us. God is bonded to each one of us. And no matter the trial or the suffering you face, God will not let go of you. God always seeks us. And here's a great reminder from Scripture that when God seeks what is lost, God rejoices in the finding. Think about these stories you know well. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. The joy exists on the side of the finder, not the one found. God rejoices when we turn to Him. The church, the body of Christ, the family of God is meant to be a place where worship and liturgies teach us and they also increase our longing for God's very self and God's incomprehensible goodness. We learn together and remind one another of the truth that we get to live faithfully and lovingly as God's children. We both mourn together and celebrate together. I imagine many of you have read Richard Foster's book, Celebration of the Disciplines. He reminds us of this. He says, celebration is at the heart of the way of Christ. Remember, he entered the world on a high note of jubilation. I bring you good news of great joy, cried the angel. And Jesus himself says in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full and complete. God's normal means of bringing joy is by redeeming and sanctifying the very ordinary things of our lives, our work and our play. When we see God reaching down into those places, we experience joy. So joy is the result of transformation. And transformation comes through disciplined obedience. I want my life to look transformed day by day. You know, hope and joy, like I said, they show up really in very ordinary moments. And our society um, has, a, has, a, has a different approach than we do to like normal and ordinary messiness. Often when things are messy, we just kind of want to shove it aside or sweep it under the rug. Um, how many of you know Nat King Cole's song, Smile? Does that ring a bell? Oh, okay. Not so many. So I'll read you the lyrics. You need to hear these. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile! Even though it's breaking, when there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. If you just smile through your fear and sorrow, smile and maybe tomorrow you'll see the sun come shining through for you. Light up your face with gladness, hide every trace of sadness. Although a tear may be ever so near, that's the time you must just keep on smiling. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile. Really? I cannot stomach this. Can you? Oh yeah, sorrow, just faced on a smile. Hiding messiness is unhelpful. Last week, I flew to Nashville to visit my two daughters and my son-in-law. And I settled into my seat on the plane, and there was an older gentleman sitting next to me. We chatted a bit, and um, I asked him where he was going. He said, oh, I'm, I'm going to Nashville to visit my family. And I said, oh, you have family there? He said, yeah, my grandchildren and my daughter are there. And I said, 
without even thinking. I said, oh, that's great. What a gift for them to have time with you. Well, the flight attendant interrupted us to offer us beverages and got settled in, we're drinking our beverages. I opened my book, start to read. Next thing I know, there's hot coffee all over me. It's all over my book, it's all over my lap. More importantly, it's all over him. And it's really, really hot. And we grab the flight attendant, clean it up, and he's apologizing profusely. I'm so sorry. I said, it's just coffee. I wash, it's okay. I'm not dry clean only. I said, it's a book. Oh, but I got your book. I said, there are so many words in there. I don't need them all. It's just a book. It's just a book. And, um, he's, and then he said this. With the way this week has gone, I should have expected this. Oh, I said, has it been a tough week? Yeah, he said, and his eyes welled up with tears. He's on his way to Nashville to help his daughter bury her 45-year-old husband who dropped dead suddenly. And the messiness of the coffee gave me the opportunity to see the messiness of his story and his heart and sidle up to him and say, I'm so sorry. I can't imagine how hard that is. I told him I'd be praying for him. Messiness and brokenness exist. And I hope and pray that in that moment he felt a little bit less alone on that journey. I'm glad he spilled his coffee. Choosing joy in the midst of our messy lives sets us apart as followers of Jesus Christ. The truth is, in my experience, the most joyful people I know are people who've been through really genuine hardships. Here's another thing I've discovered. When brokenness is acknowledged and true, really honest, painful stories are told, the power of God enters in and we see God at work. Where brokenness is invited and received with grace, the gospel comes alive with hope. So suffering's a good thing? Is that what I'm saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that suffering offered to the healing work of the Holy Spirit can be transformed into joy. The work of God and God's Spirit allow us to rejoice in God and lead us to joy. The last thing I said I wanted us to consider was how being in community is connected to joy. Now, many of you know I love to exercise, and don't worry, I'm not gonna talk about Pure Bar today. I won't talk about my bar classes. Um, but I'd like to invite you on a walk with me and my dear friend, Jen. We walk and we talk, and often my mouth gets more exercise than my legs, because I've got a lot to say. Jen is such a great woman. She's a longtime follower of Jesus. She's wise and she's kind. And most importantly, she's a joyful, hopeful woman. She's also super fit. So when we go hiking, I usually tell her, I have a great story to tell you when we're descending the hill. Because I can't breathe and talk at the same time when we're ascending the hill. Not too long ago, we were walking up a steep hill in her neighborhood, and I confess I was totally huffing and puffing. And I wondered out loud, why is this so hard? And Jen said, because, Court, hills are hard. Oh, so obvious and so true. And I needed to hear that. I needed to be reminded that times in life are hard. Something in me shifted when she said that. Friends, Suffering sometimes looks like an insurmountable hill, and we're huffing and puffing. Hills are hard, 
and God is good. And just like Jen does never leave my side when we're going uphill, God will not leave your side. I'm wondering who encourages you in your walk of faith today? I'm gonna be really clear. Do not go alone on your faith journey. Do not. We are invited in the scriptures to live in community. It is the only way to live in hope and live in joy. A few weeks ago, Lori reminded us that we are not called to do church, but to be the church. And being the church means we offer care and compassion to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We come alongside people and we enter their pain. We can only enter someone else's pain to the same depth that we've entered our own. And the same is true with hope and joy. The extent to which I'm willing to be joyful and ask God to bring his joy to my life is the extent to which I can offer that joy and hope to others. So we need to, as a community of believers, make room for mourning and rejoicing together. It is really easy, and some of you know this from your own story, it's really easy when we're in pain to turn inward. And it seems in that moment, no angel or agent sent by God can access us. So I encourage you, turn outward even when you're in pain. There are brothers and sisters to come alongside you in this hope-filled community. We help one another to lift our eyes to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's not suffer alone. Suffering does one amazing thing for us. It reorients us. It turns our thoughts upside down. We've been talking about this upside-down kingdom. The topsy-turvy kingdom is what my kids call it. But when suffering reorients us and we lift our eyes to God, we discover that we are not alone. And eventually that suffering can be transformed into joy. As our hearts are reoriented, they hunger for God and God's presence. They hunger, quite simply, for holiness. We hunger to be those set apart and empowered by God. Joy actually opens us up toward compassion and connection. And joy is right at the heart of what it means to be fully alive in Jesus Christ. Joy is at the tender center of God's heart. Jesus said this to his disciples, soon you will receive power, power to be my witnesses. Friends, we have that power to be his witnesses, to live in joy and in hope. Hope, it's been said, is the strength to do nothing but wait. We wait knowing God is with us and will never leave our side. And living in hope leads to a life of joy. So people of hope, we can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Please pray with me. God, thank you that you don't ever leave us alone, that you never turn your face away from us, and that you even give us a community of faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, to surround us with love and kindness and compassion when we're suffering, and those who will dance with us when we are overcome with joy. Thank you that we see you feasting and celebrating throughout the New Testament as, as your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be people of celebration. Help us to be marked and set apart as people of joy. And when all is said and done, God, we will give you and you alone the glory, the honor, and praise in all God's children said. 
For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.